How important is building a superior client experience, and what role does technology integration play in it? Does technology that's more integrated see a higher advisor adoption rate? And what is Pershing doing to make technology integration easier for their clients? All this and more will be discovered on this episode of Wealth Management Today. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and the technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. Hello to everyone in the world of wealth tech. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I'm here to introduce this week's episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. On this podcast, I bring you new ideas from people who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. I'm a strategy consultant, and my company helps broker-dealers, banks, and asset managers make better technology decisions. And I'd like to remind you, before we continue, to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any future episodes. That would be a tragedy. I really enjoyed this conversation with my friend Christina Townsend from Pershing. I thought it was a real coup for Mark Tabergian when he lured Christina away from managed investments last year to help with the resurgence of Pershing Advisor Solutions. With the big four custodians locked in a constant battle for assets, technology is playing a larger role in the decision-making process for advisors. That's why I thought Christina would be a terrific guest. I tried to squeeze as much as possible into this episode. We covered technology adoption rates, uh, digital advice, and how to build advisor-led experiences. So just sit back and enjoy this episode. Thank you for joining me today on the Wealth Management Today podcast. I'm here with my guest, Christina Townsend, Head of Advisory Platform Strategy at BNY Mellon's Pershing. Hey, Christina. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, we've been trying to coordinate this for a long time. I'm glad our schedule's finally aligned. Me too. And you're so busy. You are running around like crazy. You're, you're doing a lot more speaking. I've, I've been catching you on all my favorite conferences. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. 20 years at the company and, and definitely on the speaking uh, route now. And uh, it's summertime, so also trying to get a little vacation in. <laughs> well, if you can build your vacation around our, our conference travel, then it's, uh, it's all good. <laughs> That's right. I've got so much to ask you about, Christina, and this is our first uh, podcast conversation. And you know, so we've known each other a long time. I think 12 years, definitely 11 or 12 years since when I first, when I first started Pershing as a, as a consultant and, and you were, you've been there longer. So we've, we've been through the industry together for quite some time. That's right. I'm, I'm thrilled that you have a podcast now. That's right. So am I. And so, so your, your role has been changing and I'm, I'm happy to see that they've been, you know, Pershing has been, been moving you up the ranks, which is fantastic. And so what are you doing? What are you doing now as head of advisor platform strategy? Sure. So, right. It's quite, it's quite a title, but let me, let me break it down in terms of uh, the team that I have and the responsibilities I have. So I'm specifically focused right now on our RA custody business. As you know, we service a, a large variety of different types of clients uh, here at BNY Mellon's Pershing. And so right now my focus is really on the Register Investment Advisor channel. And my team and I are focused on a few things. One is really the strategy for the business. Um, how do we continue the growth and the great growth that we've seen? And our focus is on both technology and more traditional product offerings. Uh, I've recently built out a team of technology consultants. Uh, my team has ownership for a lot of the relationships with the third-party technology providers that 
uh, our clients use. And we're really focused on what products our clients need to really grow their businesses. So great, great opportunity, great team. As I said, I've been at the company for a long time. I've been in this role for about a year working for Mark DeBersion. And uh, so far, it's been it's been a wonderful ride. Mark is an interesting guy. I, I, I don't know him as well as I'd like. And we, we, we cross paths a lot. But so what's it like working for Mark? Mark is a absolutely uh, fabulous leader and I've known him for a long time. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on his team. Uh, it's a great group of, of individuals and he really is focused on uh, the growth of the business, but more importantly, encouraging his team to develop in their own right. And so it feels, it feels great to have someone like that standing next to you. Yeah, he, I mean, he's been in the industry a, a long time and, and has a lot of great insights. I like reading his his articles and, and hearing him speak, and he seems to have a really a very, very strong grasp on where the RIA business is going. And and that leads me to the next question. So Pershing, uh, Bank of New York Mellon's Pershing, has been very yeah. strong in the broker-dealer custody, uh, number one, but lagging behind RIA. So I'm glad to see that they're investing and 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 moving into the space more so do you see that uh, i mean i see it as another, another, it's, it's always great for rias to have more options in custody so what is it that your group is doing to enhance that listen it was probably about 10 years ago that uh, mark joined the organization and we really restarted uh, our efforts around the ra custody business and as you mentioned uh, there's a, a number of great players in the space and we're really focused on um, you know our optimal client and we find great alignment with a number of RAAs so we've seen tremendous growth as you said in our advisory assets we're up over you know almost to 700 billion in RAA assets at, at the firm and we're proud of that um, when we talk about our business it's really about understanding our optimal client. And we're focused on um, growth-oriented firms, um, RAs who, who really are focused on growing uh, their firm and creating you know, an enduring business. Uh, we focus on firms who are professionally managed, those who want to have the management structure to to create that a firm that's going to you know, last a lifetime or, or more. And we are we knew we differentiate on a number of things and we'll get to talk a little bit about some of the things we're doing in the technology arena. Uh, but we differentiate as a business to business provider, as you know, we don't have a, a retail um, offering. So it's really about putting our clients brand first and foremost. That's number one. The second thing is we're, as you mentioned, part of the BNY Mellon enterprise and that, gives our clients a number of um, solutions that really help them grow their business and meet the needs of their, you know, complex investors and clients. So uh, global capabilities and private banking, you know, there's lots of things that come with our enterprise that we give to clients. And we're really focused on how our clients want to consume technology from us and how they want to create experiences. And that's a big part of our investment. Uh, so it's been a wonderful ride and, and uh, it's a really exciting time. You probably heard at our Insight Conference when we were out you know, sweating in Arizona in June <laughs> that the, uh, the enterprise has made a significant capital investment in specifically the wealth and advisory business. And they see great growth. They see the same trends that we all see. And that's allowing us to invest in a number of things, including human capital and people and uh, client experience related initiatives and, and a lot of technology. Um, so it's an exciting time. Yeah, what's up with uh, Pershing having their conference in, in uh, Phoenix in June? That was, that was crazy. I mean, 112 degrees, it, it's uh, not conducive to, to thinking, trying to, trying to have a, a conversation or to think about technology. That's right. I, it was the first time I heard people asking to go back to Florida. So who knows? Who knows what the future will bring? Yes, I'd be. I would be happy to have that. But, but so <laughs> she mentioned the Insight Conference. I want. I want to get to that. But before that, you were talking about um, how your assets have grown up to seven hundred billion, which is uh, puts you right up there with uh, all the other names in, in RIA uh, custody. And you also mentioned your B two B only 
And there has been some controversy with other, other custodians where they're competing with their clients. And there's been some back and forth with other custodians who we won't name, who uh, their, their customers have been a little, little, little pissed off that they have maybe gone back on that. So you guys, are you emphasizing that because uh, of, of some, some competitors maybe not doing such a good job with that message? I don't think so. I, I raise it because it's kind of foundational to uh, the way that we've had our business model for a long time, and we respect our competitors. And to your point, uh, there's a number of them who've been out there for you know long a long time, and and we have great respect for everything they do. I think you know everything that we focus on when it comes to solutions for our clients fundamentally are built in terms of delivering it to the advisory firm and you know. Their clients or their clients to us. You know, we only work with financial intermediaries, and always have. And um, so it's just it's a part of kind of who we are. And when we talk about some of the technology initiatives that we're working on, they are really advisor led. Everything is built from the perspective of offering it to the advisory firm and then allowing them to uh, determine the experience for for their clients. So. Indeed. So, at, so there was so much going on at the Insight Conference. I wrote a long blog post about that, which people can yeah, find. Yeah, thank you. WMSA.com. And it, it was a lot of interesting stuff. I really liked some of the breakout sessions. I mean, one of the ones I was in was uh, with Piper Jaffrey and, and talking about how they chose Pershing as, as their, their custody firm. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm interested as a consultant, I'm, I'm always helping companies make these kind of decisions and understand their requirements. So, how does Pershing help uh, broker-dealers and other firms understand what the requirements are in order to pick a custodian? You know, we really, from a business development point of view, whether that's new prospective clients, whether broker-dealers or registered investment advisors, or even existing clients who may want to expand their relationship with us if they're acquiring a firm, we take a really consultative approach. At the end of the day, you want both firms to be happy and to find a real true partnership. So, you know, to your point about being a consultant, we like to think that we go through a really thoughtful process to understand understand where they want to go, where their business is going, and what are the capabilities that we have today and the ones that we are investing in in the future to hopefully kind of find that perfect that perfect marriage. And uh, I think, you know, spending a lot of time on that upfront uh, sales process that doesn't kind of go deep into requirements may leave both parties not totally fulfilled. Uh, so we spend a lot. We spend a lot of time on that, and uh, we've we've recently hired um, a number of different folks, including, as I mentioned, some technology consultants um, onto my team. Because we understand that the, com the the landscape of clearing custody and the landscape of technology, there's there's so many choices and options, and I would say that I think you know the firms that we work with are just getting more and more complex, more sophisticated. There's consolidation amongst firms, and so they really need to be thoughtful about selecting a partner. And um, so it's really it's really about being detailed in the beginning, and and then hopefully finding you know the the ground with which you'll work going forward. That, I always found it interesting how much uh, custodians are getting into tech and how you've got your own technology consultants. How, how is tech, I mean, I've seen it grow and grow and you think it's you know, your business is custody, but you're offering all this, all these tech services. So how do you see the, the technology offering as becoming a, a, a table stakes part of the custody of business? You know, it's interesting. We've seen, I was having a conversation the other day with a prospect talking about how we would be having this conversation years ago. And I said, you know, the way that our clients want to consume technology from a clearing custody provider has really evolved. And let me explain kind of how we're, how we think about this. So at the forefront, you know, we are a custodian and we're responsible for the safety and security of the assets. And however, right, we also use technology to deliver solutions. But the shift that we've seen and since you and I met, right, we've seen such a tremendous change where there used to be for clients of ours who'd come to us and say, you know what, we want whatever you have. And whatever your technology is, it's probably sufficient. There's not a lot of choice out there. And so just invest in making your platform, your proprietary offering as great as it can be. 
and that's and that's sufficient. And then a few things began to happen. We saw all of the fintechs coming into the space. We saw more and more choice related to the traditional product and technology offering. So more CRMs, more planning, more reporting. And then we started to see more firms wanting to invest in their own technology, their own proprietary technology. And then coupled with that, you know, every time I turn around, I see new capabilities that are powered by technology that I didn't even know existed. You know, the, the, the digital assistant on my phone that connects to my CRM, right? There's all these things that are happening. And so what we saw is we decided to take a step back and look at our clients and say, how do you want to consume technology or consume your, your clearing custody from us? And what type of experiences do you want to create? And what we found were three clear categories. We saw people that we refer to as adopters. These are clients who really want to take what we have and they want to take it off the shelf and they want to use it. And that's sufficient for them. And then we saw the emergence of the integrators. And the integrators, typically the REA firms fall into this category where they want to look at different types of technology and they want to pick the best of breed providers and the expectation of us as a custodian is to integrate with those providers and then the third which is typically the larger firms and or the firms who are just coming to market is really digitally forward firms they want to build their own technology their own client portal their own advisor workstation and again they expect us to integrate and the reason why you know, this is important for us, aside from understanding your clients, is when we invest in technology, we have to think about meeting these different needs. So a large part of what you heard about at Insight was capabilities that we're offering to the firms who want to use our technology, more digital experiences, advisor-led experiences, more straight-through processing, automation. However, the second piece of our investment is in integration, and that is critical to meeting the needs of the second two segments. Integration so that we can integrate with third-party technology providers and integration so we can integrate with our own clients' proprietary technology. Uh, so we've seen a, a dramatic shift, and, and honestly, you know, we've changed, right? Four or five years ago, we were more focused on the proprietary offering. Um, we have changed our tune and are much more focused on intelligent integration, really focused on meaningful integrations for the types of clients that we, that we serve. So integrations is something I do a lot of work with, um, especially with my larger broker-dealer clients. How do you decide? Well, obviously, your clients are driving a lot of your integrations, and, and NetX has always been known for a strong integration, a group of integrations that are available on the NetX platform. So how do you decide which new companies you're going to integrate with and or how you're going to expand your current integrations? Well, there's a process. It's, a, it's, a, it's an art and it's a science all at the same time. And, you know, I highlighted why integration is so important. One of the things that, you know, you know, because you heard this at our conference um, from the main stage, our, our CEO, Jim Crowley, talked about how for our RA firms, when we pulled them at our elite advisor summit, we hold once a year, we asked them, um, what's their highest priority in terms of tech? And they answered integration amongst everything else. So it's clear from a number of different angles why the investment there is so important. Um, we are doing a number of things, and this leads to how we make decisions around integration partners. So um, we are investing in the next generation of our API store. So we have, have had an API store. We are going to be launching the next generation of that API store because we want to give um, both our clients and, and, and uh, technology providers access to integrate with us. Um, so that's a big part of our investment. The other part of our investment is around um, technology assessments. So you probably saw the press release of Insight around um, technology assessments that we have available to our clients where they can, if they're, let's say, trying to select a CRM system or a planning tool, um, ask them a set of questions to get them to think about um, how they're going to select a provider. But to your question, 
obviously we can't integrate uh, with every single firm out there or at least integrate equally. And of course, integration, we could have a whole you know two-hour podcast on the definition of integration, but as a generally understood term, um, I would say that what we are focused on is studying, number one, who our clients use. So we know all of the technology that our clients are currently using across the standard value chain of CRM planning reporting. So it's looking at who our clients are using, number one. Uh, number two, it's us out there studying for ourselves. A lot of the great players who've been around for some time, uh, some of the new players, and determining you know where we think there's going to be someone who would be great to work with. And the third is we're studying the dynamics of our, our clients and their clients and looking at trends to determine what is going to be the next space that we need to integrate into um, driven by those those trends. Um, obviously, planning is talked about you know, at length. Financial planning has been around for a long time. Holistic wealth planning, goal-based planning, as an example, was a trend that everyone looked at and then said, okay, either you have to have your own proprietary tools or you have to integrate um, in order to meet what you can foresee as the needs of your clients. So those are it's kind of a three-legged stool that we we're always looking at uh, as we're determining uh, our integration partners. At the conference, you I think it was announced that you're launching an integration portal. So how is that going to help uh, clients and and third-party vendors with integrating either in or around Minix? So the the next generation of this uh, API store, the integration portal, um, was born out of two pieces. One was our clients wanting to give us feedback on how best they could integrate with us and many of our great partners and, and third-party tech vendors giving us feedback. And some of the feedback was based on, number one, Integration can be through APIs, it can be through data, it can be through files, it can be through components. Integration, there's a lot of ways you can integrate with us. And the API store in its first iteration was focused on access to APIs. So this next generation store is going to be focused on offering every type of integration that we offer uh, through a single portal, meeting some of the, the desires of our, our partners and clients. Um, and the second part of it is more self-service tools, um, additional on-demand training, uh, simplification of the store itself, um, really making it as easy to use and as efficient as possible, as we've seen tremendous growth in the number of users um, who want to have access and integrate with us. So we're excited to bring it to market. And the other thing that is really important is we formed an integration advisor council. I think you know you probably do this with your clients. We do it with our clients. We always have kind of client boards, client advisory boards to give us feedback on how we're doing, uh, sharing ideas. We decided why not do that with third-party providers who aren't necessarily clients, but we share clients in common. And so we kicked that off in 2019. We had our first in-person meeting uh, in June at the conference, and it was a wonderful conversation. Um, and it's helping drive, honestly, our, our roadmap for future integrations. An advisory council, that sounds interesting. Yeah, that, that could be helpful because they're the ones who know where things are going and, and how your integration capabilities are working and how they can be expanded. Exactly. Yep. I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this, this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. Uh, again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, another way for financial services, uh, wealth management, corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. 
So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S dot O-R-G. I would imagine that integration, the tighter integration is working at a client, the, the better the advisor experience and the better the advisor experience, the more likely they are to adopt those technologies. So do you, what kind of best practices are you, are you recommending to your clients to encourage adoption of new technology? Well, this is one of my favorite topics, so I'm glad you brought it up. That's why I brought it up. And I'll start. <laughs> You've heard me talking about it. Um, it is, so I have to, you know, use some some personal real life examples here because it draws, I think, such clarity to what I see as a big challenge. To your point, um, around get you know getting the return on the investment that you're making in technology. So I'll give you this, you know, this story. Right, I'm sitting in my car the other day. I'm driving. My husband's in the front seat. Don't ask me why I was driving, but I was. And I had my two little kids in the back seat in their car seats. And I'm backing up and I literally have contorted my body completely. And I'm practically in the back seat with my kids as I'm backing up out of our driveway. And my husband was like, what in the world are you doing? And I said, I'm backing up. And he's like, I haven't been in the car with you for a while. What, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you using the camera? And I'm like, Oh, the camera? He's like, we're paying for the car that has the technology. So you can see without having to twist your neck around backwards, you know, where you're going. Why aren't you using the camera? And then we had a whole discussion around, did I know the camera was there? Or, or And if I did know, why am I not using it? And I see this same thing play out over and over when we're talking with clients around the focus being too much on what's the new technology, what's the new thing that my friend down the street's talking about? What did I just go to a conference on? What did I just hear? And it's chasing the shiny penny, which we all do. I mean, I got a coffee maker that makes, you know, 72 different types of coffee because I thought it sounded great. And I still use it to only make, you know, my regular cup of coffee every morning. So we do it. It's human nature, right? Um, But the challenge is you're spending all this money then on technology and you are not seeing the return. So when we, what we see the most successful firms doing is really thinking about this um, in two parts. The first is you have to know the capabilities that you have at your fingertips, right? You have to know once you've bought something, you have to know what you have. So in my example, I I need to know that I have the camera. I need to know that I can make, you know, 75 different versions of a cup of coffee. You have to know. And, you know, you've heard me use the, my, the Excel example, you know, in a spreadsheet, you have to know that there's shortcuts to do simple things. So the first piece is understanding what you have. And then the second piece is, which is even more challenging, is once you know what you have in front of you, how do you change your behavior to use it? How do I actually use the camera instead of turning around? How do I actually use those shortcuts that now I know exist rather than just going back to the way that my my brain has become programmed? And so there's some, there's some great best practices that we've seen firms use that have been really successful. Um, the first is in terms of knowing what you have at your fingertips and what you're paying for, we advise firms to actually give the responsibility to someone. It doesn't have to be someone whose whole responsibility is technology, but give someone ownership of a, a certain piece of technology or, or a function and enable them, empower them to be the advocate for that technology within the company. And it is a stretch assignment, right? How many people these days are trying to retain talent? Their employees want to see a career path, right? So let them go to the conference. Let them uh, work with other firms who may use the same technology. Give them some time to read blogs like yours, right, that talk about nuances and new things that are coming out with technology and have them be the person who reports that back into the organization and hopefully 
um, increases people's knowledge of what the tools have today. I just, I can't say enough about it. And you and I both know the days of reading like a user manual, right, are gone. I mean, I, I almost don't want to watch a YouTube video on how to do something because it takes too many minutes. So you have to find alternative ways to get people to know what technology you have. Yes, YouTube videos are way too long. We've got to make them Right? It's like a 17-minute video to teach me how to blow up my kid's swimming pool for the backyard. And by that point, I'm frustrated, you know, and I, I just can't believe I haven't figured it out by myself. So, Did you really watch a video to learn how to blow up a pool? Okay, that's a topic for a different day. It was very complicated. <laughs> so, no, I understand. Um, it's kids' toys can be complicated. You're a little, I'm a little bit ahead of you. My, my kids' toys are much different. My kids are driving, so well, there you go. Toys. And we should talk someday about it if they use the camera because they probably, you know, first time they got in a the car, they, they had nothing but a camera to use. So it's an interesting experiment, I think. But we, we really do then focus on how do you change behavior. And I think you and I have both had this situation where, you know, in the, in the case of the spreadsheet, you know that you can add up a column with two clicks, but you're still going back and doing it the old way. And I think this is the hardest part. Um, I tell firms that whatever you're going to spend on investing in technology and the actual build, double it or triple it when it comes to the investment in time and money to change people's behavior to actually use the technology. And there's no one size fits all answer. But you have to understand, I think, first, that you need to describe to people what the change in behavior needs to be. You have to describe to them what the benefit to the business is going to be. Are you opening accounts faster? Are you reducing risk? Are you creating a better client experience? And then you have to celebrate successes. Um, the best way to do it is to, you know, you know this with, with all the technology we have, is to prompt someone. If you want them to do something, you know, put a prompt up. Make sure that they are, are using the technology. So it's a, it's a really fascinating topic, honestly, and, and one that I think we need to spend uh, more time talking about. Agreed. And that's a, another issue we do a lot in my consulting practice uh, with my teams that go out when we help firms with integrations or, or with rolling out new technology is, is explaining to them that or teaching them that they need to consider their advisors as just like they would with their clients with, when it comes to marketing and when you have new technology that needs to be explained to them why, as you said, why we're using this, what changes in behavior you need to have, and how is it going to benefit you? And rather than just rolling it out and demanding they use it or expecting them to use it and find that they don't, if you think of your advisors as like your clients, if you were to roll out a new product to your clients, you wouldn't just throw it out there and expect clients to rush to it. You would have, you would have a plan to explain to them why it's beneficial, and you would keep reinforcing that over time because it takes humans, like you said, human nature is that, it, it, you don't, people tend to uh, avoid new things. So you need to explain to them over and over again until they get the hang of it. That's right. And, you know, when we go to, to conferences and, and things like T3 and we see all of the, the technology that's out there, it's not just that there's new firms. The firms that have existed for a long time, the pace with which they're introducing new features is so rapid. We used to, you know, talk about when we first met and we were working on projects together, it'd be like, oh, that's something, you know, it's six months out on a roadmap, it's 12 months, it's 18 months. Now those are projects that are being done in an agile way and they're being delivered next week and the following week. And so to keep up with all of the new cool tools, I think is, is it, it's a great thing. It's also um, challenging for firms who don't have someone who it's their full-time job, you know, just to be monitoring all of the new capabilities with a tech stack that they, that they have in place. Right. One interesting statistic that I heard at the Insight Conference was 50% uh, of Pershing advisors said that building a superior client experience was important to them. And my initial reaction to that was only half. Shouldn't <laughs> all advisors feel that the superior client experience is important? And so what, what is, I know you guys are, are working a lot and you mentioned advisor-led experiences. So what do you mean by the advisor-led experience and how are you helping them, helping your advisors to create 
those. Yeah. So I agree with you, right? It's kind of like, if you're not working on client experience, what are you, right? What are you, <laughs> what are you working on? Um, and the reality is that, you know, there's of course other great things to be focused on like risk and resiliency and security and all those wonderful things. Uh, but we've definitely seen a shift from firms being really focused on thinking and equating technology means automation, technology means efficiency, to now thinking technology is also an enabler of experience. And given the fact that all of our expectations around client experience and our day-to-day -day lives are exponentially ramping up, it's a really important topic. And we don't tell, of course, clients need to think about their client experience, how they want their clients to feel from many different perspectives, not just technology. We have a firm who studied their clients and realized that a lot of them were focused on adventure travel. So they added to their value prop that they work with them on adventure travel, right? So there's things that are well beyond or in addition to technology, but we believe that technology is definitely critical to helping create a scalable, um, amazing client experience. So the advisor-led part goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier, that our clients are advisory firms, and everything we do is built around them and the experience they want to deliver for their clients. We do our best, honestly, when we're in the background, and it's their brand forward, it's them uh, you know, the only thing is, of course, the client's going to get the statement because of the safe, <laughs> safekeeping of the assets. It's going to say, you know, BNY Mellon Pershing. Um, and so what we've heard from our clients is that although they're in the forefront, um, they want to look great in front of their client. They want to have everything be digital, let's say, not for every market segment or client segment, but some want to be digital. So an example to kind of help highlight this is sometimes when you move money, you call your advisor, you want to move money, check, wire, what have you. You need a letter of authorization if it's third party. We all know in the olden days that was a piece of paper with an ink signature. Then we moved a little bit forward, right? And you had e-signature. And so you could do use DocuSign or some other uh, technology to do an e-signature. What we're doing now is the ability for the advisor to initiate that request on behalf of their clients is still keeping them at the center of the relationship, uh, but we're building the digital interface so that the client receives a text message that tells them that there's an approval that needs to take place and they can digitally approve that transaction. Um, so we're focused on things and capabilities that make the advisor look really tech forward and digital, even though it's powered by us. The experience, though, is the client's getting a text from their advisor. This isn't something where it is um, initiated by the client. It's still keeping the advisor kind of at the center of the relationship. Um, and there's other things we're, we're doing um, to continue to make sure that the advisor feels uh, like they have control over their client's experience. So within our client portal, we offer a client portal as an example. Um, we have the ability for the advisor to to nickname accounts for their clients or group accounts for their clients. The advisor can see what the client is seeing um, real time through our portal. Um, so there, I'm using these as examples to show what we have and what we're building always kind of keeping the advisor at the forefront, which goes back to the the advisor-led experiences. Um, we're also really focused on account opening. You know, no matter how many years, gosh, gosh, Craig, you and I were drawing on a whiteboard, you know, how to open a new account 12 years ago, and it still is a focus area. Um, we've is. seen, right? I mean, we've seen a great increase in the number of, of advisory firms and clients who want to use e-signature, e which is tremendous because it's been out for, you know, gosh, right, how many years now? But we're, we're finally seeing kind of year over year double the amount of accounts that are getting open with e-signature. We've had it forever, but the adoption is ramping up, um, which is great to see. And now we're taking things to the next level. How do you you know, open multiple accounts across multiple registrations with a dynamic application that requires only one signature electronically. Sure. You know, we want to continue to take those custody functions and, and up the game. Speaking of account opening, uh, I wrote an article a little while back on one of your big clients, Advisor Group, 
how they built out a mm -hmm. new fully electronic paperless account opening process built on IFS, Impact Financial Systems, their workflow with, of course, Pershing custody. So how, how do you guys work with firms like IFS and other vendors to make these type of workflows seamless? Sure. So we, uh, back to these different types of uh, clients and how they want to create experiences, uh, we've seen this, you know, uptick in number of firms to whether it's themselves or they want to hire a, a third party, as you just mentioned, um, they want to not just focus on the portal, like the client portal, they want to actually look at the the processes like account opening or asset movement or whatever. And they want to take it straight through and they want to remove all human interaction and they want to make it completely digital. And so we approach those initiatives first and foremost with the consulting, sitting down, making sure we understand, you know, there's whiteboards, there's stickies on the whiteboards. It's making sure we understand their vision uh, front to back. With account opening, we always ask questions around what other things do you want to do as part of account opening? Sometimes people think it's just getting the account open. We all know that it's funding the account. It's getting the online access set up. It's setting the account up for the checking capabilities, right? All of these other processes are really part of onboarding that client. So we map the whole thing out. And then we map our solutions to the journey. And in the example that you mentioned, um, and there's a number of other examples and clients that, that we have who everything is through APIs, every account, every registration type, everything is sent to us via APIs. The documents are submitted through APIs. And the reality is, unless there's a human that needs to intervene based on a not in quarter order item, the account is opened is open straight through. And we have more firms who, you know, never actually see our uh, account opening system because they have and wanted to build their own experience and they want to connect. Um, so it goes back to the integration topic. Build their own experience and connect. I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on from account opening, I know Pershing has always been very forward looking on technology and NetX has been on the cutting edge when it comes to integration and building on new functionality, um, more so than maybe some other custodians have been. And you've worked with, uh, we're back to new account opening, the digital advice vendors had the account opening processes really down. And, and I think they really led the industry when it came to electronic account opening and you early and on early on about like three years ago you started working with digital advice vendors like gemstep and marstone to help them uh, understand your apis and, and get integrated so they could do these types of seamless completely um, uh, electronic account opening so why did you guys do that i mean what, what was what, what did you see that other uh, vendors didn't see it goes back to when you look at various trends, um, you want to try to, if you believe in them, right, you want to try to stay ahead and you want to be uh, a first mover or you want to be kind of upfront um, to deliver solutions ultimately to your clients. And so we saw kind of simultaneously technology um, tools advancing. We saw firms taking what consumers expected out of their, you know, Amazon experience and their Uber experience and applying it to finance. And we saw this concept of kind of uh, digitally enabled advice to try to offer solutions, in my view, to more and more investors across all types of, um, you know, net worth, regardless of, of how much money you have, to be able to have a tool that from an economic perspective allows, allows you to invest and save. And so we saw these trends happening. We saw some of the great firms that you mentioned coming out with robo solutions, and we wanted to ensure that we had those as an option uh, for our clients to leverage. And we've seen, you know, as a result, varying degrees of people wanting to utilize the solutions. I think the firms who've been most successful adopting a robo solution or adopting that technology are the ones who really aren't doing it because it's a cool thing to do or they've heard about it. They actually have a business need or they have a serious strategy around targeting, let's say, another segment of clients or the next generation of clients. And it is led with a business strategy 
and then they're using the robo platform to to deliver. Those have been the most successful firms. The firms that are more challenged are those who just say, oh, you know what, I want to go buy a robo. And right now, my target market is ultra high net worth, super sophisticated. I have a small number of clients. Everything is customized. But I heard about this robo thing, and I want to do it. Without a real business plan, the technology is not going to you know, solve it for you. You really have to think about that. Yeah, you're making a good and point. So, and I, I've, I've had, speaking of Gemstep and Marstone, I've had Simon Roy, the CEO of Gemstep, and, and Margaret Hardigan, the CEO of Marstone, on my podcast. And we talked about this very thing about how advisors and broker-dealers and, and banks want to get into the space, but they don't understand how to implement it. And they, uh, Simon mentioned, Simon made a good point. It's, it's not just slap your logo on my robo and go. It's, there's a lot more to launching a digital advice channel than, than just the logo and the technology. That's exactly right. I like that. We should get him a T-shirt that says that for the holidays. <laughs> or a mug. That's that's exactly right. I, I will say that the... The the thing that the robos have done for our industry is they created some really slick technology that has become the standard for experience when it comes to using technology and financial services. And I think that the next generation, what we see is whether you're looking at as an advisory firm, whether you're looking at the next generation of your clients or you're looking at the next generation of your employees, attracting talent and retaining talent within the financial services industry is tough. And we have to be thinking 5, 10, 15 years out. And the people who are going to want to come work for you are going to expect a technology stack that's pretty advanced. Um, and I think we focus a lot on attracting clients. I think we need, also need to be focused on advisory firms attracting talent and having a digital modern experience for those people coming to work at your firm is really important. Let me shift gears a second to co-opetition. Uh, there's, there's, every industry has this, I think, especially so in our industry, where firms have to work together and they also compete. And, and I know you guys have seen this as a custodian who also offers tech. You also have your own uh, turnkey asset management platform. So you're competing with firms that you're also at the partner with. So looking at the, some of your biggest integration partners, mainly in the financial planning arena, would be MoneyGate Pro, eMoney, and firms like a, a new, newcomers like Advisor. And now they've all been bought up by competitors. MoneyGate Pro bought by Investnet, eMoney bought by Fidelity, Orion Advisor Services bought Advisor. So how, how do you guys navigate that, that kind of minefield where you're, you're, you're competing with firms that you're also com, uh, cooperating with? Yes. So I read, uh, I read an article the other day about frenemies, and that's kind of what you're describing, right, in terms of friends and enemies all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. It's um, to be working with a firm like BNY Mellon, you know, whether you're looking at technology or asset management or anything, it's, there's, there's a, um, it's rare to find someone who doesn't have some element of the co-opetition happening. And we, you know, we look at that from a number of different perspectives, right? I think, um, and, and as you said, the landscape is changing. So just because you know your landscape today, then another acquisition happens and it's like chess, you know, pieces on a chessboard, right? What's going to happen next? And so we take the approach of number one, you know, studying the marketplace, looking at what folks are doing. Um, we are also focused on thinking about where are we going to be with both traditional and non-traditional competitors. So, you know, what, where are we going to be when Amazon enters financial services, right? What we, we have to think about the non-traditional competitors, but ultimately what it comes down to Craig is we have to deliver solutions for our clients and our clients may very well in the world that we live in use multiple providers for clearing custody technology, what have you. And we believe being more on the, on the side of open than on the side of closed is ultimately going to serve our clients best and have, you know, the best kind of working relationship between us and other firms. And we, and we have sit downs with them, right. And we talk about things. It's not some secret. We, we talk about it and we ultimately have to figure out what's right for our clients to grow and therefore ultimately us. I know you do sit downs. I've facilitated some of those. <laughs> uh, there you go. And some are more comfortable, some are less comfortable than others. Uh, so <laughs> we're running out of time and I have, I have so many more questions. So let's talk about data. 
and big data and just the use of data, we're drowning in data. Jeff Marsden from Xtiva was speaking at your conference and he said, we're drowning in data and firms just aren't keeping up and they're not organizing and not leveraging it efficiently. Um, and also Catherine Keating, who happens to be the CEO of BNY Mellon's wealth management business. Yeah. Uh, let me just read this quote. She said that big data has created a new frontier in wealth management by predicting customer preferences and how is purging, so how is purging leveraging big data to help advisors? The data question, right? Who owns the data? Where's the data? How much data is the data secure? It's a constant uh, topic of conversation. And when we think about data, and for anyone who, who is thinking about data, you know, we think about it from the perspective of, first, we took data, and we, we used it to report on what happened. What happened, there's lots of kind of looking back using data, and that's been around for some time. And then we started to use data to say, why did something happen? What can it tell us? And then we kind of continued to transform and it became more predictive what will happen based on the data. And then ultimately more, you know, even more predictive and actionable, what should I do? So it's kind of what happened, why did it happen, what will happen, and then what should I do? And we've seen a progression including with our own tools kind of across that spectrum. Um, we're focused on things like giving advisory firms business insights. Um, as an example, we have a money in motion capability within our platform that looks at ACATs and it looks, it gives information around where, you know, accounts are coming from, where accounts are going to, uh, helping the advisor spot trends within their firm. Um, so those are things like what, you know, why did it happen? What can I do? Um, what will happen? A lot of different predictive pieces, but one that, you know, looks at not just, you know, we hear about the predictive ones around, you know, should, is this client going to leave or is there going to be attrition? That's some predictive pieces. We also have things like um, what we call opportunity view, which shows um, an advisor, right, across all their clients, which clients hold securities that are harder to borrow, that are harder to borrow out in the marketplace. And we can then, if they want to lend those securities, um, they can, and then we compensate the, the client. And so it's a way for the advisor to get a higher yield on the client's portfolio. So I, I share that because I think data has multiple different ways that can help an advisor, can help a client. And we're really focused on those tangible examples to help the advisory firm grow, to understand their clients, and where possible to help them create better returns and ultimately better results for their for their clients. So I think it's an interesting topic and one that, you know, thinking about BNY Mellon and Pershing, how much data we sit on, there's incredible things that, that we have done and, and a lot more that we, we still have to do. And Christina, we've talked it all. We've talked all the way through our time. It's uh, as, as we usually do, it, it goes by too fast. That's exactly right. I've enjoyed it. We'll have to do it again. We will definitely do it again. Thank you so much. And thanks for everything you're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of, of, of from, from remembering you 12 years ago, uh, from what you were doing <laughs> then to where you are now. I'm, I've, it's great to see what you've accomplished. Definitely a role model. And uh, hopefully we can support you any way possible and look forward to talking to you more in the future. Excellent. Thanks so much, Craig. Take care, Christina. Cheers. Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.